I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today, we'll answer two of the questions entrepreneurs ask us the most. First, should I create content? And second, if so, what the heck do I write or record or talk about? Most things in the startup world are counterintuitive, and content is no exception. The way to create great content is to not create anything. And the use for content early on usually has a whole lot more to do with your product than with the content itself. And most importantly, by far, nobody wants to hear your voice. They want to hear their voice in you. If that all sounds pretty Yoda-y, don't worry, we're going to sort it all out. And before we get too far into it, let's shine a light on the elephant in the room. Lots of founders say that they aren't going to create content because they aren't good at it. That is a cop-out. We've worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and every single one is capable of creating useful content in the way that we describe useful, meaning it has a job and it does it. You are included. You can create content that gets you customers. I'm not telling you to make TikTok videos or to write up those weird LinkedIn posts that are just a summary of a Wikipedia article or the other ones that just start with some unnecessary personal statement like, when I was younger, I was terrified of clowns. That stuff is dumb and in no way useful to anyone. We're talking about useful content in the truest sense of the word. Content that will be of use to your customer, that'll help them solve a problem. And since I love a good list of three, today we're going to tackle three things that support you creating content that'll help your business gain momentum. First, figuring out where to start. Second, building a system that makes generating ideas and creating content straightforward. And third, running tests with top of funnel and mid funnel content. By the end, you'll know what to say and where to say it. And you'll know how to predict when someone's going to order the super spicy hot sauce at Dos Toros. Actually, Let's start there, in a Dos Toros in the West Village of New York City in 2017. Now, if you don't know Dos Toros, it is a burrito place that I thought was the best burrito in New York City until I went to El Gallo, which has a far superior burrito, but also seems to be run by a flock of seagulls or something because of the 25 times I've ordered from there, I don't think I've actually gotten what I ordered once. It's to the point where I think it might be a strategy. Like instead of a burrito, they'll give me three tacos because they're so confident I'm going to like them. And they're right. I've also definitely been given other people's orders a few times and never said anything because all the food is great and I'm confident that my order was really good and the other people are going to like it too. Side note, we've been pitched this idea a few times. Not the mismanage your restaurant idea, but the general mystery box idea. I just did a quick search through Tacklebox applications and I found seven since 2016 that are pitching some version of an app that has one button, quote, order food, and then the number of people you're ordering for, and then some amount of time later, you just get something from somewhere. It sounds pretty damn whispery, and we've never worked with someone with this idea, but the same idea seven times seems like a lot, right? Sound off in the comments. We don't have comments as far as I know, but I've heard people say that and it sounds cool. We are way off the rails. Back to Dos Toros. I was eating lunch there with a friend of mine who I won't embarrass, but has written a few best-selling books. We were talking about something when he got a huge grin on his face and he said, see this guy, he's going to get the hot habanero sauce on his burrito. 
Dos Toros is a crammed little restaurant. We were maybe seven feet from the counter, which is similar to a Chipotle in that you sort of order your burrito assembly line style. A few seconds later, the person working that assembly line asked the customer which hot sauce he wanted, mild, medium, or hot habanero. And without missing a beat, the guy boomed, hot habanero. My friend started laughing to himself and pulled out a flexible notebook the size of a passport that he keeps in his back pocket. It's got one of those space pens attached to it by a piece of string. He grabbed the pen and started scribbling. He does this easily five to ten times every time we hang out. Apparently a family member bought him the notebook because he used to pull his phone out to take notes, and that was way more rude. Aren't you going to ask me how I knew? He asked. I played along. Well, whenever there's a guy ordering that seems to have been paying attention to someone good-looking either in front of them or behind them in line, they order hot habanero sauce. I think they must think it's manlier or something. I guess ordering the mild isn't a turn-on. A few minutes later, he tapped me. Hot habanero. On cue, a guy in a puffy jacket confidently echoed, Hot habanero, please. Extra, if you can. I once asked my friend about his notebook habit, and he responded that a writer's job is very simple. Notice things about people and write them down. The funny things, the quirky things, the things other people miss. That type of depth of understanding adds layers to writing, he said. Also, he continued, it's hard as hell to make stuff up, and I'm just not a good enough writer to do that. And luckily, there's no need to. The stories I need, the answers to the test, are everywhere. I would much rather catalog than try to dream them up. Writers and entrepreneurs are similar that way. A writer's job is to notice things about people everyone else misses and to write them down. An entrepreneur's job is to notice things about people everyone else misses and then build those people a product based on the things they've noticed. When entrepreneurs try to make up stuff, it usually goes really badly too. The similarity, obviously, is in the noticing. That's always been the superpower and it always will be. Every bit of tech makes it easier to scale an insight. But ChatGPT and every other flashy new piece of software is nothing without the insight that you need to earn through the noticing. And that is why you should create content, especially during the early days. Not because it'll help your business grow, although it will if you do it right. And not because it'll help your personal brand, although again, it could. But because creating content forces you to notice. It forces you to catalog. It forces you to get something you believe about your customer out in the world to put a stake in the ground, and then it gets you feedback. Does what you noticed about your customer actually matter to that customer? If you have that baseline, you're way more likely to build a great product. People talk a ton about MVPs, the smallest version of your product that actually works. If your finished product is a car, your MVP is a skateboard, and that is what we call them at Tacklebox, skateboard products. Content is a way to test your insights even before you build any sort of product even a skateboard. Content is a way to force yourself to pay attention, to see if what you've noticed matters. So let's do that. After, a word from our friends at Build. This episode of Idea to Start a Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Build. That's B-Y-L-D-D.com. They're a development agency that helps early stage startups build and launch scalable, revenue-generating software businesses. Development from non-technical founders and teams without a tech person on them is the massive elephant in the room that just sits there judging you while you run all of your customer work and intent tests. And once you've validated your idea and you know that customers want what you've decided to build, you've got to figure out how to build it. That's where things get sticky. You probably don't have 100K to throw at a huge creative agency, and even if you did, for your first product, you probably shouldn't. 
You might roll the dice on Upwork and it might work, but you'll need to project manage the whole thing. The cost will be a black box and I cannot stress enough the might in that first sentence. For 10K and roughly a month of work, Build will get your validated product up and out. We've advertised Build a few times and the one question we've been asked is, can companies that work with them end up growing big? The answer is absolutely. They've worked with companies that have gone on to Y Combinator and raised money at 10 figure valuations. Build is the way to get your first product built, and that product can lay the infrastructure and the foundation for any size company. Head to build.com to talk to Ayush, that's B-Y-L-D-D.com, and tell him you heard about it through Idea to Startup. Back to it. How to start. There's a book I love called Bird by Bird, Instructions on Writing in Life, written by Anne Lamott. It is hilarious and insightful and a great read, especially if you're trying to learn how to write well, which is a superpower for entrepreneurs. In the first sentence of the first chapter, Anne says that good writing is about one thing, telling the truth. And telling the truth is a great place to start with your content for your business, too. An exercise I love doing with our founders is to have them map out the big river and dam model that we always use. The river taking their customers to that big final goal and the dams that are the blockers in the way, the things that stop them from getting there. Once we identify a bunch of blockers, I have the entrepreneur tell me the truth about each blocker, the real reason the entrepreneur can't get past it, the insight that they've noticed. Here is an example. I believe we've talked about Orr in the past, a company that came through Tacklebox a while back that helps people with alcohol addiction. The delivery method is naltrexone, a seldom prescribed drug that is extremely effective for some people addicted to alcohol. The medication basically gets rid of the feeling that people get that makes them want to have a third and fourth and tenth beer after your first two. Instead, it just makes you feel like you've had two big cans of water. You're full. You don't want any more. Early on during the first few weeks of the program, pre-product, pre-the founder leaving their job, pre-really anything but an idea, we were going through this sort of exercise with the founder, going through the life cycle of their customer, moving down the river from alcohol addiction to control over how much they drank, if anything. One of the early dams for the customer was listed as general awareness of naltrexone. I asked the founder to tell me about that dam, to tell me the truth that he'd noticed that other people might have missed. Well, he said, it's actually less that people aren't aware of naltrexone and more that they're hesitant to ask their doctors about it. Why? I asked. Well, I think a lot of these people have been telling their primary care doctor for years that they have a couple of drinks a week when they're at their checkups. It's really embarrassing then to come out and say, hey, I've actually been lying to you this whole time. I actually have 10 times as many drinks as I told you. It seems silly, but it's a really hard thing to do. And most people just don't. In the interviews, people told me they'd love to try naltrexone, but since they didn't have a way to talk to their doctor about that, they didn't have anyone to prescribe it to them. There is some truth, something he noticed, but other people hadn't, and that can anchor a piece of content. So the founder wrote an article with a headline around how to try pharmaceuticals when you haven't told your primary care doctor about your drinking problem. The meat of the content then helped the reader navigate that dam. There was a script that they could literally copy and paste and send to their doctor about how they hadn't been straightforward about a problem, but they wanted to explore solutions now. There were also instructions for setting up an appointment with a telehealth doctor who could prescribe naltrexone if they didn't want to have that talk with their primary care doctor. And there was a story of someone who went on naltrexone and turned their life around. A little inspiration. That piece of content did exceptionally well. The writing quality was irrelevant. 
It was just describing an unspoken truth, then cataloging someone else's experience. People who had the problem felt like the article was speaking directly to them, speaking for them. We've talked before about the components of trust. I think of it like a seesaw. On one side of the seesaw is traction, on the other is specificity. The customer would have trusted or if they already had a ton of traction, if they knew five friends who tried it and it helped with their alcohol addiction, but or hadn't launched yet, so obviously no customers knew anyone who'd used it. So or had to rely on specificity. We understand this moment in your life better than anyone, so we're more qualified to help you with it. That type of specificity can make people who don't know you trust you. When our founders are looking for this sort of moment to create content around, my response is always to look in the hole. What I mean by that is find customers that have dug themselves a hole, customers that know they're in a hole, that know they've made decisions to make that hole deeper or to dig it in the first place. Your content acknowledges the hole and then it throws them a ladder. You might've gotten yourself into this mess, but we're going to help you get out of it with as many specifics as possible. If people gravitate towards the content, it's fairly likely they'll gravitate towards the product that solves the same problem, but far better than the content ever could. The content or created did three things. First, it validated that the insight, people not telling their primary care doctor, resonated. That lots of people who saw it would gravitate towards it, that they'd trust or if they talked about it. Second, it tested acquisition channels. The article was sponsored in a bunch of different channels and forums and newsletters in the conversion. There was a link for OR, which would let you sign up to know more about how they'd help people with alcohol addiction, tracked what channels delivered the highest quality customers. And third, it gave insight into the initial product. Matching customers with a virtual doctor will become a critical feature, and it all came from that piece of content. The article wasn't especially well-written or funny or witty. It just told the truth. Here is the reality of a situation that most people don't know about, but we do, and we can help you get through it. Content as a system. Another question we get a lot is how frequently should I create content? The better way to think about this is to map out the jobs of your different types of content. In general, there are three. Top of funnel, mid funnel, and brand building. We'll start with top of funnel. I visualize this like one of those old, sticky, slimy, stretchy toys that looked like long hands that you had as a kid. The ones that you would hold one end of and throw the other against a window and then make that big slap sound and then stick there. Top of funnel content is the stuff that you're pushing out over and over that is trying to grab people, to pull them in. It's a great place to test all the insights you learn about customers for all the dams in their river. It's often also evergreen. You'll probably eventually put some paid advertising behind it, and it'll live forever in places like your FAQ. It's useful and helpful for solving an edge-of-the-wedge problem. It's the thing that builds enough trust that people convert after reading it. It is classic rivers and dams, and it is a huge part of your flywheel. You'll need to test it a bunch to get it right. Top of funnel is critical for testing out the insights that matter and the channels that convert. This is high priority for every early-stage startup. Mid-funnel is the content that'll live in something like an onboarding email flow. After you've got a customer interested, you might drip them three or five or seven emails that teach them stuff, that show them examples of other people being successful, that go deeper on the hole they're in and the ladder you're going to give them. This is high-value content that entrepreneurs actually usually drag their feet on creating because it often feels so permanent. This is the onboarding that every single customer that gets into your funnel is going to see, so it has to be perfect. 
And when things have to be perfect, it usually means entrepreneurs ignore them. The better approach is to get something out and edit it to continue learning more truths from your customers and updating this flow accordingly. Finally, there is brand building, the stuff that fills all the channels that you think of for traditional content, the stuff that makes people uncomfortable, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, what we call discovery channels. Early on, all of this content is doing two jobs for you, testing insights and testing channels. You're seeing what resonates, seeing what converts, getting something that you believe out in the world, seeing how people respond to it. Here is what it can look like. The other day, I spoke with someone working on a startup that'll help people take care of their plants. His idea was that he'd do a Zoom call with customers who had plants that were dying. He'd diagnose the problem, then give a solution in a follow-up email with affiliate links for soils or products where needed. He wanted to test all of this with a content strategy, so we talked through a quick River and Dams model with this customer. First, we had to narrow in on a customer with a bleeding neck problem, which I was skeptical about. It seemed that if someone was that interested in their plants that those plants dying would be a bleeding neck problem, they'd know how to take care of them in the first place. But his pitch was that new homeowners, specifically people that had bought a house in the last year or two, specifically after moving from an apartment, often bought a few expensive big plants. And those plants often started dying fast. And the last thing the homeowner wants was a half-dead fiddly fig in the middle of their entryway. The first dam was after they'd Googled how to save my fiddle leaf fig. There was too much content, six ways to diagnose what's wrong with your fig, 10 common mistakes, and on and on and on. These weren't useful. The founder had even written a few of these and pushed them into the ether, where they landed on the seventh page of Google, never to be heard from again. He'd also created content for people who had signed up at his website, a drip campaign with a few emails showing pictures of before and after for plants he'd helped. These seemed to do okay, but he had no top of funnel, so no one was even getting to this stage. Finally, his brand building on Discovery Channels was a TikTok account where he did a daily video on a specific type of plant he liked. Underrated plants, he called them. This was not a big hit. His problem was he didn't know if people actually cared about this. He didn't know if there were enough people out there who had plants who would use this service. He just wanted to know whether he should spend his time on it or not. So we talked about cataloging. Humans learn through stories. We build trust through stories. A how-to video actually isn't all that helpful a lot of the time. What is helpful and what is interesting is context. So his new strategy became recording his Zoom calls with the customers he did get and then editing those into 90-second videos and posting them to TikTok and Instagram. Specifically, he left in all the questions the customer had asked about light and water and yellow leaves and all of that. Then he talked through his approach. He'd talk about similar fig trees or snake plants that he'd helped revive, about sun, about light, about dirt. The whole thing exploded. Lots of people, it turns out, wanted to have a consultation about their dying fiddle leaf fig over Zoom. And it was way easier for him to create content. Each customer was new content. He didn't have to think. The answers for the test were out there. Cataloging is always better than creating. There's obviously way more we can dive into for top of funnel, mid funnel, discovery channels, and brand building. Things like the pace of the article, something Nathan Bechez calls thrust and drag. But being light on all of that was sort of the point of this episode. Because the important part about creating content is the act of creating it, of forcing yourself to notice stuff about your customer that other people don't of forcing yourself to go through each of the dams your customer hits and try and figure out the truth behind that moment, 
the real reason they're unable to get past it. Of finding your customers that have dug themselves holes and cataloging exactly how you've gotten other people out of those holes so that you can help them too. The important part of content is the noticing bit. Whenever people are stuck on creating content, I have a very easy and very annoying answer as to how to get unstuck. Speak with your customers. Have them tell you about the hard stuff. Have them tell you about why they can't solve a problem, about the last time that they tried. Then catalog it. E.B. White has one of my favorite quotes of all time. Don't write about man, write about a man. Tell the stories of your customers interacting with problems and the useful things that you did to help them overcome them. That will build trust and inform you on what to build for a product. Get an opinion of yours out in the world and see if your customer latches onto it. See if you can speak for them. And now I'm off to get a burrito from Dos Toros because I've been thinking about it since the beginning of the episode and I'm working from the city today. Hot habanero, please. And if you'd like to sort out content strategy for your startup, join Tacklebox. Apply at gettacklebox.com to join a bunch of idea and early stage entrepreneurs going through the Tacklebox method to validate and launch their businesses. No need to quit your job first. We'll help you do it right. We'll help you do it in the margins. And we'll get back to you within 72 hours. Have a great week.